Mayday, mayday. You probably know this international emergency call used by airplane pilots when something is terribly wrong in the air. A cry for help. In a few minutes, you'll hear about one such mayday call. It will also become clear why this call took place in Norwegian airspace and not elsewhere in the world. But first, let's get it straight that luckily, mayday calls are rare occurrences. On a normal pre-corona day, more than 44,000 planes took off and landed worldwide. That amounts to between 2.5 and 3 million people boarding a plane and arriving safely at their destination every day. Choosing to board an airplane, however, is a major problem for the climate. But most of us still choose to fly from time to time. So how do we approach this dilemma? Can we make air travel more sustainable? Well, actually, if ongoing efforts to develop electric planes succeed, it could be a substantial part of the solution. But when will electric planes be ready for passengers? And what can we do to encourage greener travel in the meantime? I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. took off from uh, Gullknapp, small airport, very nice weather, and uh, I've done quite a few um, flights same day. This voice belongs to Dag Fag Pedersen. He's a Norwegian pilot, and he vividly remembers what happened in the afternoon of August 14th, 2019. This particular flight gets a lot of attention, both from politicians and the press. A lot of them are actually witnessing the flight because it happens during the annual national forum Arendalsuke, where delegates from government, NGOs, industry and the public meet to debate and develop future policies. More than 70,000 people attend this democratic event. But before we move forward, it's important to note the plane that Dag is flying on that August day a Pipistrel Alpha Electro G2 plane, Norway's first electric plane. It belongs to Avanor, a state-owned company that operates most airports in Norway. The company is responsible for air traffic control services in a large part of Norwegian airspace. Dag is not just any pilot. He's the CEO of Avanor and the driving force behind the development of electric planes in Norway. But back to the plane. It's a two-seater. And this afternoon, his travel companion is Marta Johansson Horigmo, Vice Minister for Local Government and Modernization in Norway. We flew like we usually do, a 20-minute flight. Uh, on the return back to the uh, airport, uh, all of a sudden, the engine stopped. Before we hear what happened next, let's look at the challenges of developing electric planes. Dag remembers all the questions that he got when he first began accelerating his work on electric planes three years ago. I've been operating airports and uh, air navigation service 
we do not fly aircraft. We we are not an, an airline, and we are not an aircraft producer. So why should we bother? Well, nobody else did. At least we felt that nobody else did. So we started really to look in what can we do, and we decided that we should take together with others in Norway, outside Norway, and globally, a lead position to be there and define the future, to make somebody believe that even aviation can be fossil-free. And uh, we decided that we should look at small aircraft, uh, bigger aircraft, and talk to aviation companies, both airlines and, and uh, producers. Finally, we got a door open, and more and more people came back to us and asked, what, what do you think? What can you do? Can we support you? Even Airbus started to call us, not we uh, calling them. Um, but we finally decided to buy this light, small aircraft. It's a two-seater. Uh, the range is like 120 kilometers, not very long, but the shortest route in Norway is approximately that distance. So we bought it, and uh, we got it... Um, delivered in 2018 uh, and we had the first official flight here in Norway at Oslo Airport Gardermoen with the Minister of Transport and Communication uh, as a passenger and myself as a pilot. Uh, it, was a, it was a marvelous uh, feeling to, to take that aircraft into the air with the Minister on my side. Both of us had to lose some weight because there was a weight limit on that aircraft. And when I uh, texted him uh, some months before uh, if he wanted to take part on the first flight, he said, yes, yes, I would. And, uh, but then I had to say, tell him that, well, there's a weight limit. Uh, and I'm 83 kilos. I, didn't, uh, I don't have any intentions to lose weight. So it's, sorry, sir, but you have to lose your weight because he was more than 100. But he did. So when the day came, uh, we were at, on the rate that was permitted, and we had a beautiful flight uh, at Oslo Airport. But what happened after the engine stopped in the air over Arendal on that afternoon day of August 14th, 2019? In my career as a pilot, I've always been looking for an alternate airfield if the engine should stop uh, in this, this area. It's not very many of those. It's a, a huge forest surrounding the airfield. So I decided uh, without the engine, I had to land and I found a small field. It's that one, uh, that was my option one or A. And my plan B was a small pound or, or a small, small lake uh, next to it. When I came closer, wasn't uh, possible to land on that small uh, open spot, so I decided to land in water. We'll hear the last part of that story a bit later, but let's first hear from Susan Liskret Hanke. She's an associate professor in aerospace design and innovation at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. She finds these kinds of initiatives very encouraging. What is encouraging is that we see a lot of um, new companies investigating these uh, technologies and also um, not only the aircraft manufacturer, but also the engine manufacturers investigating the electric uh, 
um, technologies and so on. So there's a lot of momentum coming. So what you see today is that there are um, a number of um, like projects for very small aircraft. We see like two passengers, maybe four passengers flying maybe an hour. So that's uh, that's the current situation. So there um, there's uh, you know that there's some a, a number of projects in in this range which already you know fly or have demonstrators that work. Um, so for the, the challenge is really to upscale that, to bring that to a level of more passengers. We see right now that there are also some um, companies. So, for example, there's uh, Aviation. I think it's an Israeli company who develops a platform called Alice, which is a commuter airplane, which is supposed to have nine passengers. So they're quite advanced in their development, but they also have, a, there's a lot of technological challenges with um, having this big electric motors, having them um, batteries um, that are very heavy. You know, they, they much like they have the, we call it the power density is much lower than the carbon fuel. So they, they will take a lot of the space of the aircraft and it's, it will just, it's, it's just very difficult to upscale it to, more passengers and more range um, because it's so that's that's the difficulty today. Doug agrees that battery range is a challenging issue, especially for larger planes. We don't think that we can fly uh, on a longer distance only with batteries. It must be uh, some kind of a hybrid solution, either hybrid with fuel cells, hydrogen, uh, with uh, normal uh, jet engines, uh, charging batteries en route if you need it, uh, either as a reserve or if to, as a range extender. So, so it will be hybrid solutions for uh, operations on longer distance. However, Dag doubts that purely electrical solutions for shorter flights will be possible in the near future. Our goal now is, or ambition and goal will be that the first commercial flight uh, should be done by 2030. And by 2040, we should be almost decarbonized, either no emission or very low emission. And by very low emission, we are talking about like uh, 20% probably of today's emission that we are are, um, putting into the air. So uh, 2040 has been a, a milestone for us all the way. How that can be done? It's, it's not, uh, it's not uh, defined yet, but uh, we are still positive that it can be done. But 20 years in aviation is a, a, it's a long period of time, and we'll see how it, uh, how it goes when we move forward. According to Susan, it is possible to move forward at a quicker pace. That is, if everybody joins forces and enough money is invested. Developing this really um, brand new kind of technology, which also leads to very different type of aircraft design. If you really want to make it efficient, you know, you, you also need to change. The, the aircraft will look very different. They have different shapes and, and, and so on. So there's a lot of things that come together. And we see, for example, in some advanced military project that if you put in the, the money and the effort and there's really a customer, you know, the engineers will be able to do that, you know. So it's it's just a matter of um, that everyone is actually um, investing in that. And so um, so right now, as the industry is structured, it's more the aircraft manufacturers. They do research and maybe with help from the government, which we see a lot in, in Europe, for example. There's a lot of 
you know, European projects and a lot of investment and, and research. So then the aircraft manufacturers investigating new technologies, but it's never very fast you know, because it's... Uh, but um, if suddenly everyone asks for it, so the airlines, the customers, the governments, and they also put in the money to develop it, I think it can go fast. When it comes to governmental support, Norway and the other Nordic countries provide an example to follow. In the Nordic region, because we have the same ambitions, uh, the Nordics are really leading the, the world when it comes to uh, decarbonizing the use and even that Norway is producing oil, that, that has a limited time uh, in, in front of it. We have to decarbonize. So electrifying um, aviation is part of that, uh, that work. And Norway, we are using, we are using hydropower. I think 98% of, of usage of, of energy in Norway is hydroelectric power. And half of the fleet of cars being uh, sold in the last few years is either full electric or hybrid electric. So we are changing the, the future. And the Nordic countries are in the lead and we have to work together. And I think we actually should include some of the northern part of, of main Europe as well, because we have the technology, we have the economy, we have the structure and we have the will and we have the politicians who want the same thing. But let's face it. You won't be traveling by electric plane today, tomorrow, or anytime soon. But in the meantime, we as passengers still have a role to play in accelerating greener travel. Tom Hall, editorial director for Lonely Planet in London, sees a clear tendency in travelers' ways of thinking these days. As people have become more aware of their carbon footprint generally and the different sources of, of impact, um, there's a realization that all the good that individuals were doing in their everyday lives and a lot of the good that, that, that governments were doing in terms of carbon consumption could be undone by one flight from Europe to Asia. Um, and furthermore, it seemed and felt like from the outside, and maybe this is an unfair perspective, but I think it's what a lot of people have said, it felt like that the aviation industry w w was not very interested in doing much about it. So... Um, what happens next? Consumers do as they've done with their automobiles, with their homes and with their lifestyles. They started looking for greener alternatives. But what they heard back was only really that planes were cleaner than they used to be. Newer planes were better. Um, you know, different types of fuel were better, um, which is a bit like saying that your, your landfill is a bit more efficient. Um, OK, it's really good that your landfill is better than it was, but it's not going to save the world, especially as we could all see this um, you know, huge increase in the number of flights and the way in which that was becoming much more a part of our lifestyle. Just before coming on to talk about this subject, um, I was just reading the replies on a, on a Twitter post to a British politician who was taking a new air route. Now, I would think every politician in the world is interested at the moment in amplifying things that could make a positive economic contribution. So this politician was standing at her regional airport and saying, we've got a flight to London City. Isn't that fantastic? Um, and what happened was there's just hundreds of comments from people saying this, you know, you could take the train. 
why are you doing that? We've got good train connections. You, you, you can do this. Now, of course, you can find social media activism on many subjects and on aviation very easily. So it is easy to debate how universal the, the sentiment is. But what we've seen at Lonely Planet is that there is more than a niche demand for less flying or no flying options. Many of the efforts are actually countered by the travelers themselves and the way they are accustomed to behaving. People are um, used to watching movies uh, in an aircraft and, and so on. So that all aircraft are equipped with more and more electricity, which weights a lot of, you know, it, it, it puts weight on the aircraft. And then if the aircraft are flying, so they consume more fuel. Um, so the, all these aircraft are designed to give all this passenger comfort. And then people are bringing their own devices on board, which are also adding weight and so on. So this whole in any way, there's something that needs to change, you know, in, in the whole way of um, how this, the, the aircraft were designed in the past and how they are used today. And then also, if we want to look into the future and have a more sustainable way of, of traveling and using aviation, then we can even go beyond and rethink how we design the aircraft uh, so that, you know, they, they will be really fuel efficient. If I can just extend this out for, for a moment to the, to the travel industry generally, um, the travel industry generally has accepted the case for um, restrictions on travel to certain things around the world. Um, the Colorado River can only bear a small number of rafting um, expeditions every year. There's only a certain number of people who can hike some of the world's most beautiful trails in New Zealand or in Tasmania. Um, you know, why should we not say that Machu Picchu or indeed an entire country like Peru um, should have stricter numbers of visitors going to it? And why would we not appreciate the wonders of ancient Greece if it were if it were a more precious and harder to attain commodity? Now, obviously, I don't. I'm not advocating for this to be about cost and just saying it becomes very expensive, but it should be about taking a view of the world that is about looking after it. And um, that, to me, doesn't mean a smaller tourism industry. Um, Susan earlier in the conversation mentioned um, a better spread out tourism industry, maybe taking advantage of some of the opportunities offered by things like, um, you know, future electric aviation to get into places where you're not going to have some of the issues that were facing tourism before around over tourism or around, you know, um, for example, cruise ships bring large numbers of people into into places for a, a short period of time. I think this is about taking an opportunity mm -hmm. to rethink things. Sitting in the small electric plane over southern Norway in August 2019, along with the vice minister, Dag didn't have time for big thoughts about the future. He needed to act and make an emergency landing on water. I've trained for this since I was 18, uh, so I was prepared and the landing was quite successful. Uh, not a very hard landing. We tipped upside down. And my passenger, she was behaving like uh, an ace, uh, really calm, cool. Uh, and I looked at her just before landing. I said, you have to uh, hold, your, hold tight. Uh, we're going to land on the water. And she looked like she was on a Sunday trip with the car, uh, <laughs> quite untouched. And um, 
after landing, I looked at her and she looked exactly the same. The only difference was that the hair was hanging the wrong way since you were upside down. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we managed to, I managed to get the aircraft into the shore and we uh, walked uh, onto the uh, small shoreline there, totally unhurt. So how did the public receive the news of the emergency landing? Was it a setback for public trust in electric planes? Yeah, they tried to make a negative story. Now you see what happens to an electric aircraft. But since we were not hurt and the landing was recorded because the press was at the airport and when we came back with the helicopter, the rescue helicopter, uh, it actually became more of a, I wouldn't say heroic, but it was a, a good story more than a negative story. But in my opinion, it has not uh, hurt uh, the ideal electrifying it the aviation at all. Uh, and uh, we had a general assembly uh, a month ago with the with Minister of Transport. Um, and he had three issues that he would address, but one was you have to decarbonize aviation and electrifying the aviation is a task, a primary task for the government uh, still. So nothing has changed. So I feel that um, last half year it hasn't been an, an issue at all we're just working uh, further on and we are working together with EASA which is the European agency for uh, looking after aviation uh, and we are on a high level task force there how can we electrify the aviation industry or it's even broader but, but for us it's electrifying who is the, the main issue and uh, but it's, it's, that is only a part of it, because the shortest uh, transport will be all electric, the medium short haul will be hybrid, and as you move up uh, in the weight, uh, you eventually end up with, uh, with the biofuel or, or artificial fuel uh, in the years to come. So we had to use all the technology available uh, to make the aviation fossil-free. According to Dag and Susan, the work towards more sustainable air travel needs to continue, and it will. We cannot replace all the aircraft, all the flights with electric flights. It's like, it's impossible. So I think there needs to be really a good um, analysis on for which type of uh, flights are really necessary and then um, develop the right airplanes for each of these uh, missions, basically, and, uh, and also... If the, if the passengers are willing to pay more, for example, not to do low-cost flights, for example, but if they're willing to pay the real price of being you know, fast at a certain destination, and then the aircraft manufacturers can also sell aircraft that are maybe you know, a little bit more um, expensive to design and so on. And that in the end, it, it will um, you know, be reflected in the ticket price or something like um, so there's there's a um, there are some options if we're rethinking um, the whole uh, use of aviation and um, designing the the airplanes so that they they fit the different needs and then I think we can find different vehicles that are efficient for their use. Well, I heard I think all of the arguments against electrifying uh, the aircraft for the future, but think on it in a different way. The first producer that puts together an aircraft with no uh, pollution, no, uh, no greenhouse, greenhouse gas, 
that producer will have the market. So the big ones, they cannot sit still. And we know that they are not sitting still. We know that they have a, a backlog for t almost 10 years on the older aircraft or all these new aircraft, but still. So of course they try to, to squeeze that uh, lemon as much as they can, but they are really afraid that what happened in, in the car industry is that all the big ones are having huge problems because they were not uh, ambitious enough. And you see that uh, Tesla took, took the market. No, they are producing electric cars as much as they can, and they're trying to regain uh, an initiative. Exact same thing will happen in the aircraft industry. Of course, there will be electrified aircraft in the future. Don't you worry. If, you, if they lean back and think otherwise, they will be surprised and there will be auto business. So eventually, electric planes will become a reality. And hopefully all types of air travel will become increasingly more sustainable. But what can you and I, as ordinary citizens and plane passengers, do in the meantime? Fly as light as possible. <laughs> that's the that's the best thing. Uh, also to think about uh, if you you know if you really need to to take that flight. Um, unfortunately, you don't have a lot of choice about the, the airplane you're taking, even if you not. Know, so that's that's. But it may be something that could be requested. I think uh, to uh, you know to make the if if you really want to travel greener and. Um, to uh, you know, try to voice that. The, the first thing I think is to is to question whether there is no alternative to taking your flight, um, and that's both whether you're a business traveller or a leisure traveller. I think if you're a business traveller, we have seen that we can carry on. We can we can do it. Firstly, um, and you know I've spent a lot of my time at Lonely Planet trying to prove to people that taking the train um, across Europe, for example, is a fabulous alternative and it's only got better in the time um, that I've been doing that. It's not always true, but I think in a lot of cases it is. Um, and you will have, I promise, a better overall experience, even if it's a slightly slower one. Um, I think the other, the other thing is to be a demanding consumer. Um, and, you know, if you do have to take a flight to take one with an airline that has a newer fleet, you may be surprised by some of the airlines that have invested in their fleet. Actually, maybe some of the some of the companies that don't always have a, a, a fantastic image in the world of, of, uh, of, of travel. But they, you know, they've certainly done the right thing there um, and, and pay attention when people like Susan tell you to travel light frankly, um, because I think that things like that, that they, they, they make a difference only if all of us do it. Um, so, so listen to that. And then very lastly, just think about being um, not just a good traveller, um, but being a good person generally um, in terms of your environmental habits. Um, no one is perfect here, but if all you do is say, I'm not getting on an aeroplane and in the rest of your life, you have a, you know, an, a sort of an unreconstructed view of the world, um, then you're missing out on a huge number of opportunities to do some good there. I think you should ask your politicians to take action. Uh, take uh, Look at the politicians in Norway. They have really uh, put focus on this, and it helps. It helps for, for uh, the big producers, big engine producers, that they 
have the focus on what can they do or what do they have to do. So ask your politicians to support and even to invest in green uh, air travel. Uh, and to your uh, the airlines you operate, ask them, what are you doing? Are you investing? Are you willing to invest? What kind of uh, plan do you have for the future? We see that that helps a lot. Uh, you as a consumer should be quite direct. Don't give me the, the issue that the, uh, the old technology is being better and better. It is being better, but it's not enough. You guys need to invest in uh, new technology. You have to ask for it and you have to invest in it and you have to take it into to your operation. The sooner, the better. And you have to show it. Don't just talk about it. It's easy to forget sometimes that I have a say as an individual and maybe even some power. As a consumer, I can make demands to whoever wants to sell me something. And that includes the companies that I choose to fly with. And of course, as a voter, I can raise my voice and let politicians know that they should be investing in efforts to achieve greener air travel. But one thing's for sure, I'll think twice the next time I need to travel by air. And maybe by 2030, I'll have the option of flying on batteries. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening to the Nordic Talks podcast.